Good morning, everybody. We had a couple extra texts all lined up all week, and this morning we're down a couple texts, so people are double dipping. Thank you so much to the worship arts and tech team. Thank you also for those of you who've been praying for us as a staff over this last week. Uh, Kelsey got married yesterday. It was a beautiful service. And uh, many of our staff were here until north of 10 o'clock last night, helping, serving, supporting Kelsey in any way we can. And I talked to uh, many of them this morning, and they were saying, we are really tired. So that's my excuse if today's sermon is no good. We're all really tired. A number of you have come up to us uh, over the last couple Sundays and said, Dave, what is the uh, 75th anniversary going to look like as a worship service? Sometimes we come at Christmas or Easter, and it's not quite what the tradition service looks like. So here's what it's going to be. Uh, on Saturday, Gaylene Beach, if you've been around for five years or more, you'd remember Gaylene. She's going to lead us in music on Saturday night. There's going to be lots of talking, some fun. Joel and I will be co-hosting together. We'll have a wonderful time. On Sunday morning, it starts at 10. 30, so a little bit later for you, earlier for our Renew service, uh, we'll be running at a decibel level about mid-80s. Uh, to put that into perspective, this morning was low 80s, so it will be slightly louder than here, but not quite as loud as Renew normally is. We're going to start off with a quartet. There's going to be a couple hymns, a couple classic um, songs that we sing in Renew, so I think you're really going to enjoy it, and I would encourage you to come. It'll be a wonderful morning of remembering what God has done and where God is going to take us to next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our church family. Thank you that we can gather together to worship you, to lift our voices in song, to have relationships with one another, to partake in communion, to visit in the foyer, and to do so much more. May you be glorified by everything that happens this morning. And God, we pray that my words would fall down, that your words would be lifted up. As Joel said just a moment ago, that your spirit would flow through me to speak to each and every person here exactly what they need this morning. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. My friend was nearly in tears. I was pastoring out in rural Alberta, visiting one of the seniors in our church, and she looked at me and she said, Dave, I have no idea what I have to offer the church. I said, well, what do you mean? And she goes, Dave, I, have, I don't have the gift of teaching. I can't lead worship. I can't sing or be a part of any of the major groups. I don't feel like I have anything to offer to the teams. I don't know what my role is in our church. And I sat back and I thought about what she had just said. And everything she mentioned was an upfront public role. She felt she didn't have the gift of teaching. She felt she didn't have the gift of leading or, or leading music or being a part of a team. But she didn't talk at all about any of the private roles. Uh, one of the words that we've been going through over the last few weeks is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And there's this beautiful passage. I love what it says. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God who works all of them in all men and women. And I love this. There's a number of reasons I love it. One is a public speaker. I love the cadence that the apostle Paul brings to the table. It just sounds good coming off of the tongue. But I also love that he reminds us that all of us are gifted. There's gifts for every person in the church family. And there's also another beautiful piece to this. It points to the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, united in diversity, are coming together to bless the entire church family. Romans 12, verse 7 has become our unofficial theme verse during the series on spiritual gifts. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has come for the common good. 
And it's this beautiful reminder that everybody who believes in Jesus, everybody who says, God, I know that you died for my sins and rose the next day, everybody who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that it has been taken place is given a spiritual gift. Over the last number of weeks, we've taken these 20 plus spiritual gifts and we've put them into three different categories. And we're very grateful for the work of Robert Clinton and John Thompson and Peter Wagner who have gone before us and done such wonderful study. The love gifts manifest the love of God in practical ways. The power gifts demonstrate the power, the presence, reality of God. The word gifts clarify the nature, the action, and the purposes of God. And I was sitting down with this senior. I recognized, you know what? She may or may not have a word gift. As long as I had known her, she had never gone near the platform in any way, shape, or form. But she for sure had a power gift. This woman prayed nonstop. But that's not what I pointed out. To this day, she has one of the love gifts that I have seen used more powerfully than anybody else. She had the gift of hospitality. Every single week. Now that might be a slight exaggeration. We'll say 48 weeks of the year, she invited people into her home. If you were hungry, you got an invite. If you had a mouth, you got an invite. If you didn't have plans, you got invited. She invited everybody to her home over and over and over again, every single week. Her and her daughter would cook for 10 to 12 people and would invite people into their home. Now, maybe people enjoyed coming to uh, Alberta Beach because they really enjoyed the music. Maybe they liked the teaching. But I said to her, Hilda, I think the reason people come is because of your hospitality. And then she teared up for a whole other reason, not recognizing that this spiritual gift of hospitality had transformed the church and how she embraced everybody who came into our church building. All of us who believe in Jesus have at least one spiritual gift, So how are we going to embrace those gifts as we wrap up our sermon series this morning? If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you're brand new to church, thanks for joining us. There should be a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. If you're watching online and checking us out for the first time and you don't have a Bible, you can download an app. I believe it's bible.com slash app and follow along with us. The Romans is a New Testament book, which means it happens after the birth of Jesus. The New Testament starts with four different accounts of Jesus. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have Acts of the Apostles, and then finally the book of Romans. As you're opening Romans 12, allow me to tell you a little bit about the context because it's fascinating and will deeply impact how we look at this entire message. Romans 12 doesn't just start a brand new chapter. It starts a brand new section of the letter. From this point forward, from Romans 12 till the end of the book, Paul is saying this is how God's righteousness impacts everyday life. But how did we get there? Romans 9 to 11 is all about God's righteousness availability for Jews and for Gentiles. Remember, a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. When the church started, most of the converts were Jews who believed in Jesus. They looked the same, they dressed the same, they talked the same, they went to the same festivals, went to the same parties, had the same heritage. Everything was similar about them. But how are these Jewish Christians going to respond when Greeks show up, when Roman soldiers come to the church, when people who look different, talk different, have different ethics than them arrive. This is Romans 12, one to two. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. 
Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to test and discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, these two verses are rich in meaning and could easily be an entire sermon series on their own, but we're gonna look at it from a bird's eye view today. In short, these two verses are saying we need to be totally dedicated to God. The first century church was radically different than what people experienced in the past. Jew and Greek worshiping together. Slave and free worshiping together. Man and woman, rich and poor, people from all over the spectrum coming together, worshiping together for the very first time. All right. So we just had David tell us that it was our 75th anniversary. I need a little bit of um, congregational participation. How many of you here know that the Baptist General Conference is Swedish in background? Oh, wow. That's going to be way higher than second service. I would say probably pushing two-thirds. Now here, raise up your hand again. How many of you in this room are Swedish? Got two? Okay. About seven people. Stan Nelson, very proud of this fact. Love you, Stan. Stan has been a huge part of the 75th planning team. Now, there's been about a dozen people who have worked really hard behind the scenes over the last number of months to put together next weekend. And when we're prepping for a 75th anniversary, you think, well, we have to have pictures. And let me tell you, before the year 2000, this church was really white. But look around you now. It's not the same, is it? We have an entire Mandarin congregation worshiping in our gymnasium. We have well over 100 Africans who call Ellerslie home. We have Filipinos, we have East Indians, we have Spanish. You hired a German pastor as a Swedish church. You might need to rethink this thing all over again. But just like Paul's original audience, we look different, we act different, we talk different, we have different backgrounds, we have different ethics. We're coming here and we're completely different. Chapter 12, verse 3. But by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, the Jews aren't exactly thrilled that God is throwing the gates wide open. A little bit of leadership fun stuff for you. Have you any, any of you seen the change management bell curve? You have your, your early innovators and your early adapters. For those of you who enjoy Malcolm Gladwell, this is the tipping point. Then you have the people who say, okay, we're the early majority we're going to join you, and then the late majority, and then there's some people kind of lagging behind. And the Apostle Paul is saying, enough with you laggards. You have to understand the church looks different now. It's not just that God is adding new people to the church. Would you believe it? These Gentiles won't accept Jewish customs. The least these men could do is get circumcised and figure it out. If you're going to join us, you got to look like us. But then Paul shows up and he says, oh, no, 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 no. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Don't think of yourself too highly, for we've all fallen short of God's perfection. But also, don't think of yourself too lowly, those of you who have been considered the underside of society, because God saved you and adopted you as his sons and daughters. Like the Jews, if you're a longtime Ellerslie light, you can't be afraid that God is going to bring change as new people come to the church. 
But like the Gentiles, if you're relatively new to Ellerslie, you need to embrace what has taken place here for so many years before you. The followers of Jesus are saved. The followers of Jesus are loved. The followers of Jesus are gifted. And there's this total dedication to God. And then Paul says, embrace the gifts he's given you. Picking up in verse four, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one in body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Verse nine, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. This is beautiful. The apostle Paul three times talks at length about spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. And in each of those times, he mentions a minimum of five spiritual gifts. In each of those times, he talks about how the gifts are used to build up the body of Christ and that love is the greatest gift of all. How great is this news? Not only does God rescue us unto life, he says, if you believe in me, I will give you at least one gift to help build up the church. Use this gift to serve those around you. Use this gift to be a blessing to everybody. Use this gift in proportion with the love of the Holy Spirit that has so filled you. We've spent the last few weeks going through a number of spiritual gifts and looked at the three different categories of word gifts, love gifts, and power gifts. Today, we're gonna dive a little bit deeper into how do we discover our gifts. Now, as we go through this sermon series on spiritual gifts, uh, we've talked regularly about how you can go online and it's available right now and take uh, a spiritual gifts inventory. Over the last few weeks, Pastor Russ, Pastor Joel, and David have all talked about how you can get engaged with the spiritual gifts, what that looks like, what it means, and how to take practice in it. But today, we're gonna go a little bit deeper. How do we discover what our gifts are? There's gonna be sub points for each of these points this week. Serve in different areas. And if you're here this morning and you think, ah, tests aren't really my thing and I'm still learning what it means to be involved in small groups, serve in different areas. The summer is the perfect time to do this. Right now, a number of our people in kids ministry are, are taking a break so they can enjoy July and August and breathe a little bit deeply. As you've heard, a couple of our techs were unable to make it today for different reasons. And you might be sitting here thinking, I have a gift in that area. I would love to serve in kids ministry. I'd love to be a part of our first impressions team. I would love to operate one of these new cameras. It looks like so much fun. One of the joys I have of being a pastor is to meet with new people who are attending our church and say, hey, would you like to grab coffee together? And over coffee, we say, how would you like to engage in Ellerslie? Would you like to be a part of a small group? Would you like to join a short-term group? Would you like to serve in different capacities? And occasionally somebody will say, what is your greatest need? That's where I want to serve. You might have the spiritual gift of helps or service to just jump in and be involved. But over the summer, this is a wonderful time, a beautiful opportunity to get engaged. And if you're thinking, you know what? I just want a one-time event. Serve next week at the 75th anniversary. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality and you want to jump in the kitchen and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some food for our grads or uh, have summer fest in late August or summer day camp for all of our kids. 
with the way the broadcast room is set up and everything that's going on, working there is a joy. And if any of you have met Nathan, you know automatically the more time you get to spend with Nathan, the better your Sunday gets. Maybe you have a heart for prayer. And you say, Dave, is there going to be more of this post-service prayer? I want to be a part of that. Maybe you have a heart for shepherding and you think, what a beautiful opportunity it would be for me to meet with these kids in grade two and grade three and to show them what the love of Jesus looks like. Maybe you have the gift of craftsmanship and you want to work on the tool team. Summer's the perfect time to try out some of these gifts without the long-term commitment attached to it. Find something you love doing and maybe in the fall you're all in. That's the perfect segue for me. Find something you love doing. My friends, what brings you joy? I think I've shared this before. The least favorite part of my job is writing and editing policy. But Pastor Russ loves it. A couple months ago, he said to me, Dave, we had the best governance meeting yesterday. And I thought he was speaking in tongues because I didn't understand the words that were coming out of his mouth. How can you have a great governance meeting? But this is where Russ is gifted. Russ works with policies. He works in the audit. He works with the finances. He keeps our building looking beautiful all the time. This is a joy for him. A couple of weeks ago on the May Long weekend, we had a, a guest speaker from International Justice Mission. And he was sharing with us some of the wonderful things IJM is doing around the world. If you missed it, this next stat is beautiful. He said, because of the work that International Justice Mission is doing in the Philippines, they have dropped human trafficking by 75%. Praise God for that. There was somebody in the church who heard that and just this past week called in and said, I would like to make a significant contribution to the ministry of IJM. This person has a spiritual gift of giving. It is this individual's joy to support a mission and to use the finances that uh, God has given to this family to bless somebody else. As you can see, there's a number of ways to discover your gifts. Take a test on the website, serve in different areas. What brings you joy? But another thing we can look at is to evaluate our effectiveness. All of us are called to pray for the healing of others. But how do you know that you have the spiritual gift of healing if people come to you regularly, one-on-one, -on -one, maybe in your small group, and you think, oh, I just love praying for people that they might be healed. And you pray for them and you put your hand on them. Maybe you anoint them with oil and you just pray fervently and they're not healed. Well, you might not have the gift of healing. And that's okay. But if people come to you for healing and you feel as though God is giving you the spiritual gift where you, where you know in advance, God is going to heal this person. I know God is going to heal this person and I get the joy of working with them to, and see the effectiveness come into place and that when you pray for people's healing, it happens regularly. Praise God and you see your effectiveness working out. In Matthew 8, 16, we read, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he, Jesus, drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. But not everybody does Jesus heal. Fast forward to John chapter five, and there's a number of sick people, and he points out one amidst all of them. And he pulls that one individual aside and says, do you want to get well? If you have the spiritual gift of healing, you probably also have a spiritual gift of knowledge where God says to you, I want you to pray for that person. This is how I'm going to use you in powerful ways. The gift of healing works together with other spiritual gifts to be a blessing to the church and to build the church up. 
as you discover your gifts, evaluate your effectiveness. One last comment. Have you received affirmation from the church? Last week was a, a unique week here at Ellerslie. We have a traditional service right now, as you're well aware, and then a very contemporary service in, uh, at 11.15. And for both of these services, our worship leaders were unable to be present. Pastor Rick was still in Chicago. Um, Colton uh, was at a wedding or out of town or just unavailable that day. So we had two entirely volunteer worship teams. Both of them did an excellent job. I thought Kevin did a great job leading the service. He chose wonderful songs. It was upbeat. There was joy in the room. And Kevin himself led with humility and with authority. One of the ladies in the church came up to me in between the services and she said to me, Kevin can lead whenever he wants. What a joy that was. Daryl, one of our other volunteers, led today and does so with joy and with great work and preparation. In the second service, um, Colton was unavailable, so Jiho was here. And I appreciate what Jiho did. He led with joy, he led with enthusiasm, and he shared the stage with two of our other vocalists. It was beautiful. He did a great job choosing the closing song. Everything came together wonderfully. Do people affirm your gift? Do they look at you and say, you must have the spiritual gift of leadership? Because whenever you're leading a group, whenever you're leading a meeting, things go so smoothly. You obviously have the gift of faith because whenever I talk to you, you build up my faith and encouragement. Do you have the gift of wisdom? Because when you talk to me, it feels like Jesus himself is speaking with me. Let's discover our gifts together. Once we've discovered our gifts, I hope there's this excitement of putting them into practice, but that comes with a caution because there is a tension that takes place between gifts. Going back to Romans 12, verse three, which we looked at a couple minutes ago, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God assigned. One of the major problems is an arrogance of gifts and exalting one gift over the other. The same challenge that Paul wrote to in Corinth still exists in a number of churches today, and that's what do you do with this whole idea of tongues? The apostle Paul is writing to them and he's saying, guys, you have to understand that this is not a two-tiered system. Some Christians have this gift, some Christians don't. He writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter three, and he says, brothers and sisters, I cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. In other words, grow up. The second half of chapter 12 is all about how we are unified in our diversity. The entirety of 1 Corinthians 13 is how love brings all of these gifts together and it's the best gift that all Christians have. Be thankful for the gift God has given you, but never hold it over others. But it's not just tongues that are issues. Sometimes public gifts like teaching, worship, church planting, the role of senior pastor get placed on this pedestal and people hold it over others. I am gifted differently. I am gifted more effectively. You should all listen to me. Back in the fall, Christianity Today, which is a wonderful evangelical magazine, did this great podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. They discussed the meteoric rise of this church and the catastrophic decline. It was a level of arrogance that destroyed the church. Gifting was never the issue. Jesus had all the right in the world to be arrogant. He taught with a power and authority that had never been seen before. He healed people. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He had wisdom, knowledge, and prophecy. He prayed all the time and showed incredible mercy. And then in Mark chapter 10, he says, the son of man came not to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We use our spiritual gifts not to promote ourselves, but to build up the church and to make Jesus famous. A second tension that we need to be aware of is the projection of gifts. This tension is a little bit more subtle than the arrogance, but has great power to be divisive. And let me show you how it works with some rapid fire examples. I am not looking for a show of hands. In Luke chapter 15, we have that famous parable of a hundred sheep and one goes missing. What do you do? Do you go after the one or do you go after the 99? If you go after the one, you have a gift of mercy. You have a gift of compassion. You care deeply for the individual. But you know what the person taking care of the 99 is saying? Don't you care about everybody else? Aren't you a leader? Don't you want them to grow? And the person with mercy and compassion are going, don't you care about the one who's left behind? There's a tension that takes place. You pick up a Christian biography of a well-known saint in the past and you look at Billy Graham and you think, wow, he's incredible with how he evangelizes to so many people. Maybe you've heard the story of George Mueller and he served 20,000 orphans with a spiritual gift of faith, never once missing a meal. Mother Teresa, and you go, wow, does this woman ever serve with compassion and joy and mercy and service? And sometimes the biographers will say, if you had this kind of faith, you could do it too. And maybe they don't actually say it, but it's implied, you know, everybody can do this. And it's this idea of gift projection. And we read it and go, but I don't know if I can. Let me make it real personal. Somebody has the gift of intercessory prayer. And they pray a minimum of one hour a day. The average Christian in North America prays and reads their Bible for about five minutes a day. The average pastor for about 15 minutes a day. And so if you have the gift of intercessory prayer and you talk to somebody and you say, how is your prayer life going? And they say, oh, it's, it's okay. You know, I read a chapter and prayed for a couple minutes. It would be easy to project your gift on them and say, don't you love Jesus? Gift projection needs to be understood. And if we've been talking about tongues and prophecy and the power gifts, and you're wondering, what does this mean? And you have questions, feel free to talk with me or one of the other staff members, because we want to make sure we understand this. We don't want to put limits on God. We don't want things to be scary. We don't want things to be weird, but we want everybody to know that anyone who believes in Jesus is given a spiritual gift to build the church up. Again, going back to that beautiful uh, passage that we've looked at a couple times, to each one is given the manifestation for the common good. Many of the spiritual gifts can also become a spiritual discipline. And so for those of us who have a gift of prayer, we don't look down on those people who pray less than us, but rather encourage them. For those of you who have the spiritual gift of evangelism, you don't look down on those who don't evangelize, but rather encourage them to evangelize just a little bit more. For those of you with the spiritual gift of giving, you, you don't look down on people who don't give. You say, you know, maybe choose one missionary one partner, start somewhere, and we encourage the body and build them up. So how do we handle the tension between gifts? Remember that love is the greatest gift of all. Well, it's true that everybody who believes in Jesus is given one spiritual gift. The gift of love is not a, uh, is not a spiritual gift in the sense that only some people receive it. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5 verse 22, the apostle Paul starts to talk about, this is what the gift of the Spirit looks like. And all people are filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
The scripture is filled with passages about love. I already mentioned today that each time Paul talks about the spiritual gifts, he talks about the body and about love. But this is what Jesus says. Everyone is marked by love as a true disciple. John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Romans 13, 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. John Thompson, in speaking about gift tension, says, we are very graceful for people with the love gifts, moderately graceful for word gifts, and no grace at all for power gifts. And I wonder how true that is. Imagine you have a love gift, and your love gift is that of hospitality. And you're working away in the kitchen. It's been a wonderful time. You've enjoyed working with the people there. And then I come storming in, and I said, who put pineapple out during the supper time? That is unacceptable, not okay. It does not happen under my watch. And you go, it was just pineapple. And then I have to pull you aside and say, okay. In Genesis chapter three, the fruit that's so bad is the pineapple. And it has been cursing humanity for the last few thousand years. It's just not okay here. But we don't pick on people with the love gifts, which is good, but we also shouldn't pick on people with the word gifts. We want to see preachers grow and learn and understand that if they have the gift of teaching, how can we encourage them, bless them, and help them to grow? You don't start as a conference preacher. You start at a different level than that. But what about the power gifts? Because for real, if someone stood up and speak in tongues, would we say, devil? But we can't. Because if we're gracious with people who are learning the love gifts of hospitality, of compassion, of mercy, if we're fairly gracious with people who are learning how to teach or lead, we must also be graceful to the people who are learning how to use a power gift of discernment, of wisdom, of knowledge, of prayer, and other things besides. Let us strive to be people who build one another up for the glory of Christ. All right, embracing our gifts. We discover what our gifts are. We need to be aware of tension between the gifts. How do we develop our gifts? Once you discover your gift, you need to understand how your gift works. I think I mentioned this last week for those of you who weren't around. I said the biggest learning for me is how there's different expressions of each of the spiritual gifts. And I kind of picked on apostleship in in the positive way. If you have the gift of apostle, maybe it's starting a brand new ministry at the church. Maybe it's church planting somewhere else in the city or in a different province. Or maybe it's being a missionary. All of these are expressions of apostleship. And I wonder if it's a lack of understanding that's the reason that the weekly prayer meeting ended up not working out. Because we have these different spiritual gifts, but we don't recognize that there's different expressions even within the spiritual gifts. Let me give you an example. Imagine you're gathering together with a group of people who love to pray, and you have the gift of intercessory prayer, but there's different types of intercessory prayer. You love lists. And so Kelsey says to you, here, my friend, I know you have the gift of intercessory prayer. Here's the 135 kids who are coming to day camp, and you pray through 135 names, and it gives you the greatest joy in the world. But somebody else has a gift of intercessory prayer, and they say, I don't want to pray through lists. I have this prompting. I pray for crises. And God just puts the the people of Ukraine on your heart and you're watching the evening news and you see these young families getting into trains and going all across Europe and even to North America and you just go into your room and you pray for two hours because this is how God has wired you. Or you get a prompting. 
And you say, you know, tonight's the AGM. And things seem to be going really well at our church, but I want to pray that we would continue to be unified. We would continue to be aligned, and that's how God's wired you. But there's also a different one. What if God's given you an assignment? And you have the gift of intercessory prayer, but lists don't really grab you, and and prompting or crisis doesn't really grab you, but man, do you love an assignment. And you just feel that God has placed on your mind one of our staff members. And you say, for as long as that staff member is serving at our church, I'm going to pray for him or her every single day. For as long as that person is in the hospital, I am going to pray for them every single day. You develop your gift by understanding by understanding how your gift works. Going back to Romans chapter 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith. Understand your gift. How does your gift work and what does that look like? Let's say you have the gift of evangelism. Not every evangelist is going to look like Billy Graham. Maybe your gift of evangelism is one-on-one evangelism and it's powerful. And you've had the wonderful privilege of leading a couple hundred people to Jesus. Maybe your gift of evangelism means working with Maddie in our alpha ministry. And you love being at those tables talking to people about Jesus. Maybe your gift of evangelism is able to teach other people how to evangelize. When we understand our gifts, our, our gifts start to develop that much more. Another way to develop your gift is to learn from gifted people. For the last 12 plus years, I've been praying that God would give me the gift of leadership and help me to grow in the gift of leadership. And if you don't know my story, everywhere I've gone as a pastor, the lead pastor has left. My very first church, I was at a Filipino church. It was the opposite of what most churches do. It was a Filipino church that brought in the white guy hoping more white people would show up. I get there and he says to me, I'm gonna go on sabbatical. And I don't know what I'm doing. Then I go to my second church, and it's uh, in High River, Alberta. It was a wonderful experience. The guy hired me. I had done my research. He's a gifted leader. Can't wait to grow from him. Um, he hired me. Six weeks later, he resigned. I went to Alberta Beach. I was a solo pastor. And then I came here, and I had done some research on Pastor Mel. Pastor Mel, if you're new to church, was my predecessor. I thought, this man has the gift of leadership, and I can't wait to grow from him. He, learned, uh, he taught me about change management, about oversight of staff, of how to lead good staff meetings, how to develop strategic directions and staff development. And we begin to see that if we have this gift, we want to meet other people with the same gift who are a little bit further ahead of us so we can learn from them and grow and learn and understand. When we read the scriptures, we see this happening all the time. Moses, maybe the greatest leader in all of scripture, brings along Joshua. And after the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Joshua takes over. Elijah, the greatest prophet of all time, brings along Elisha and says, I want you to learn from me to understand how this works. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus brings his 12 disciples and he says, follow me, walk with me, live with me. I want to teach you what it means to, have, uh, to be followers of Jesus. And then obviously the apostle Paul, through all his missionary journeys, always has people with him. Learn from gifted people. Final point, and then I'll close. Practice your gift. One of the gifts that maybe we've mentioned once before is craftsmanship. I believe it's the first gift mentioned in the entire Bible. Way back in the book of Exodus, God asked Moses to build him a tabernacle. We read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I've chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. 
I have filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, ability, knowledge, and all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Pastor Joel said to me recently, Dave, I don't know how I know all the things I know, but God has given me the spiritual gift of craftsmanship. But he didn't start by building houses. He started by building decks, then finishing basements, and then developing entire homes, and I believe even fourplexes. Joel is incredibly gifted in this area. Maybe you have the gift of teaching. You don't start as a conference speaker. You start by leading a small group. Then maybe you teach a class here at the church. Then maybe you say, hey, Conrad, Abby, can I speak on Friday night at youth group? I, I think I have a gift, and I'd, I'd love to learn how to use it. And we have a number of Baptist General Conference churches who don't have pastors right now, and maybe you could fill their pulpit supply, and you can learn and develop this, this gift in a beautiful way. I mentioned earlier how the greatest gift of all is Jesus. But there's something beautiful that Jesus does, and maybe I'm thinking this way because I was at Kelsey's wedding yesterday. Jesus is the groom, the church, his beautiful bride. And when the bride walks down the aisle, she keeps her face focused on the groom. But where is everybody in the audience looking? At the bride. The world is looking at us and saying, okay, if you're the church, if you're supposed to be people of love and unity and have alignment together and supporting and encouraging one another, what does that look like? But we, the bride, the more we focus on Jesus, grow in his likeness, his beauty, his majesty, so the world around us can see what the church looks like and gets a glimpse of heaven. My friends, embrace your gifts. God has used us and wants to use us powerfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the spiritual gift series. As we wrap it up, may we be reminded that all of us have spiritual gifts who believe in your son, Jesus. But may these gifts not lie dormant. May they not be planted in the ground, never to be used again. But may we find places and opportunities to use our gifts both inside the church and outside the church to show the world how great and how beautiful your son, Jesus, is. May we be unified and supportive of one another, that you would be exalted and that you would be made famous. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.